We're going to continue our study on kingdom living. And this morning's sermon, the the topic I'm going to talk about, may seem a little strange at this point. You may be thinking, well, Nelson, you probably need to wait a while before you deal with this. But it's interesting that this is the first thing that Jesus dealt with. And so I'm not going to... I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna tease you a little bit, we're gonna pray and we'll go into it, okay? So if, if you start thinking, well Nelson, you've, you've gone off on the deep end, just hopefully I'll be able to explain why we're here and what we're gonna talk about. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Father, we thank you that you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. And Lord, we worship you this morning. And we long, Father, for Your kingdom to come in this place in our lives. We long for Your will to be done in us on this earth as it is in heaven. Father, we long to live the kingdom life that Jesus proclaimed. The life that He offered and the life He's still offering, Father. I pray over the next few weeks, Lord, that You would teach us to live, Lord, at a different level, at a higher level the level You've called us to. And Father, I pray this morning that uh, You would give us ears to hear what Your Spirit wants to say. Uh, Father, I know that what I'm going to talk about this morning is, for some, might be a a little controversial, but but Lord, it's not controversial to You, and You dealt with it, and, and we deal with it whether we want to admit it or not. We encounter it all the time. So I pray this morning, Father, that You would teach us how to deal with the darkness whenever we face it, wherever we face it. Father, I'm confident that, Lord, we can overcome the darkness with Your authority in Your name. And so, Lord, I pray that You would teach us to imitate Jesus in everything that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to talk a little bit, just a little bit. I'm probably going to spend a little, you know, a week or so in this area. But we're going to talk about power over the darkness. Now, I know for for many of you that will conjure up some images and some pictures. And, 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 and for some of you, you're going to think, well, you know, that's just, you know, that's just the way the people in the first century thought. No, folks, the devil is real. I'm going to say it again. The devil's real. I mean, he, he's as real as you are, okay? And, and, and he is not by himself, okay? He has some, some followers that followed him right out of heaven when he fell. And, and we, we just we call those demons, we call those unclean spirits. Jesus called them that, so that's what we call them. But the reality of it is, is that the, king, the kingdom is the king's domain. And wherever he's at, that's his kingdom. We talked a little bit about last week of how Jesus lives within the life of a believer. He lives in us. Therefore, His kingdom is within us. And wherever we go, His kingdom is with us. We, we, wherever we walk, whether you believe this or not, we take the kingdom of God with us. We are conquerors. I know many of you will quote that verse out of Philippians, we are more than conquerors. Well, are we? Because I meet most Christians, they don't think they are. They think they're a punching bag for the enemy. And I don't believe that. I believe that we are conquerors. And I believe that if we'll live like conquerors, 
the devil will stand up and take notice, and he'll take a step back. How many of you have ever been punched in the nose? A few of us, mostly men, okay? You know what? When you get punched in the nose, you protect that thing from then on, don't you? Okay? If you'll punch the devil in the nose, he'll back up. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try over the next couple of weeks to, to teach some biblical ways to do that, okay? I know some of you are cringing right now already. Nelson, I really wish you'd use different language than punching the nose and stuff like that. But, but it's just where I live, okay? It's just where I live. It's real. And I don't know if the, if the devil is not attacking you, he's wearing me out. I could use some reinforcements, okay? So if, if you want some experience, come on over to my house, okay? But uh, we are, as believers, we are representatives, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Amen? We represent Jesus Christ, and we represent His kingdom. We carry His presence within us. And do you realize, and most of you will understand this, and because of that, everything doesn't go well. Any of y'all have any things not going well in your life right now? Or do you have some small problems, some small issues? I mean, for some reason, people believe that when you come to Christ, everything works out. It's a walk through the roses, and, you know, it's a skip to the loo and a skip to the law, and, you know, it's just a wonderful life. Well, it is, but there are issues. Uh, as I was listening to Tony Evans this morning, and he said there are afflictions that we face. We're afflicted, Okay? And that's true. It is a wonderful life, but not everything goes like we expect it to go. Amen? Rarely does it go like I expect it to go. Okay? I may just be naive, but uh, nothing goes like I think it's supposed to go. And, and it, it doesn't go like we plan it. And there are some days when everything... I mean, how many of you live here when everything you do goes south and it crashes and burns? You ever been there? And you're doing everything right, and, and, and yet it just goes haywire. Have you been there? Sometimes disasters strike at home. Sometimes they, they strike in our family. Sometimes they strike at work. Everything can go smoothly, and then it just goes south. You know what? You may be under attack. Now, I know a few weeks ago I talked to you and said, you know, you need to check up on, on your own flesh. Not everything bad that happens to us is the result of the devil. Sometimes it's, it's the result of, of us doing some things. Sometimes it's the result of somebody else doing some things. And sometimes it's God doing something. But folks, on a lot of occasions it is the enemy. And we face an enemy who is real real. He's not, he doesn't have horns and a forked tail and stand around with a pitchfork. Okay, that, That's not the devil that we face. He is a crafty, scheming creature. His heart is black. Okay, His heart is black. And his desire is to destroy as many of us. And not just us. Okay, His desire is to, is to lay this planet low. Okay, that, That's his desire. He's defeated, but he is not in a prison yet. He doesn't live in hell, okay? That's the awfulest theology I've ever heard. He's not in hell yet. He will be one day, but that day hasn't come. Jesus will cast him into the lake of fire, but he's not there yet. And so he's alive and well on planet Earth. 
And he's doing everything he can to create chaos and destruction in our lives. Don't you think we ought to learn how to defeat him? If we have that authority, and I'm going to show you from the Scripture this morning that we do have that authority, don't you think it would do us well to learn how to defeat him? If not at work, surely at home. At home. I mean, we can start at home, and then we work our way out. So this morning, we're just going to talk a little bit about that. I'm calling this kingdom living power over darkness. And last week I mentioned, just briefly, that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God. And there's the kingdom of darkness, which is, which is the enemy's kingdom. And, and they are in conflict. They're at war. Now, the kingdom of God is led by King Jesus. The kingdom of darkness is led by the devil. He's known as the prince and the power of the air. I mean, he, the Bible says he is the God, little g, of this world. That's what Scripture says. He's the God of this world. He, he, he was given the keys, the authority, the dominion over this world by Adam. But listen to me. When Jesus died on that cross... And when he rose from that tomb, he took the keys back. When the kingdoms collide, there's always resistance and there's always hostility. And the result of that collision very often depends on how you and I respond. What we choose to do when they collide. Because, folks, it's not like, it's not too like, like two big trucks out there that run head on into each other. It's, it's in our lives, wherever we're at. The kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of darkness. It, it happens in our lives. It happens at home. It happens at work. It happens at the market. It happens when you're trying to find a parking place at the mall and everything's taken. I mean, boom, the kingdoms collide. You know what I'm talking about? And how we respond determines victory or defeat. To be victorious and really learn how to, to, to overcome the devil at every turn, we've got to learn to imitate Jesus. And I believe that He's given us plenty of ammunition. I mean, just over and over and over in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. He's given us models to imitate if we would just do that. Now, I'm not going to, this morning, I'm not going to spend any time trying to prove to you that there's a devil. Alright, fair enough. If you don't believe there's a devil, the rest of what I'm going to say this morning is a waste of time. For you. There is one. And he has plenty of help, and they're called demons. And as Jesus began to extend the kingdom, the kingdom, he ran into the devil. At the the very moment he was baptized, he comes up out of the water. We talked about this last week, but God anoints him with the Holy Spirit, and and that's a it's it's a picture of 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 more than what we realize. It's the picture a king was anointed. They poured oil on him. A prophet would pour oil on him. John was the prophet, okay, but God poured the oil out. And the oil didn't come in a greasy form. It came in the, in the literal presence of the Holy Spirit. He descends on Jesus, and Jesus goes forth. He takes the kingdom with Him. And if you study your Bible, and if you, if you, you'll, you'll realize this, the first place He goes is out into the middle of nowhere, into the wilderness. I love the way that, that Mark puts it, that the Spirit of God impelled Him or drove Him. Into a, into a waste place, into a barren place, and, and, and there was nothing there, and, and the enemy came. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. 
and he fought with the enemy. If you know the story, the devil made three offers that we know about. And each time, how did Jesus respond? He quoted Scripture. He didn't preach to the devil. He didn't rationalize with the devil. He didn't argue with the devil. He just said, it is written. Can, can I just, this is worth you coming this morning. You don't need to argue with the devil. Jesus didn't. You don't need to. You don't need to rationalize. You don't need to think through what he says. You just need to respond to him with Scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, the devil didn't like to be punched in the nose, and Jesus punched him at least three times, and you know what he did? He left. The Bible says for a more opportune time. Jesus had come to decimate and destroy his works. He'd come to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 8, the latter part of the verse says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Folks, that conflict, that, that collision, it was both a truth encounter and a power encounter. There was the Word and the Spirit. It wasn't just the Word, and it wasn't just the Spirit. It was the Word and the Spirit. It was truth and power that came together. There was a, there was, there was, the Word of God was presented. It was proclaimed. But then the Word of God was demonstrated in an act of power. Jesus didn't just talk. Jesus acted. That's going to be important for us. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He said, For the kingdom of God does not consist... In other words, it does not just operate in words. Then listen to what he says. But in power. It's not just words, folks. It's words and power. It's not just power. But it's not just words. I love the, the way the New Living Translation puts it. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Now, we live in a, a culture of the church where there's plenty of talk. There's lots of talk. Talk is endless. Turn on TV. Turn on religious broadcasting. There's preachers 24-7. They're on all kinds of channels. You can go anywhere... Uh, probably in a five-mile radius, and I bet there will be close to 100 churches. There's plenty of preaching going on today, plenty of talk. The problem is that in some places there's a lot of talk with a little bit of walk. The, the, the talk does not match the walk, or the walk does not match the talk. There's plenty of, of declaration, but there's no demonstration. And folks, that's why the church is so powerless. That's why it's so anemic. A lot of, you know, a lot of pastors believe that their job is simply to declare the Word of God. That's half their job. Okay? That, I'm sorry, that's where I'm at, okay? That's half their job. Most believers think if they just know a little bit of the Word of God, they'll be okay. That's just half what you need to know. Because every time Jesus proclaimed the gospel, He demonstrated the gospel in some form or fashion. Now, did He heal everybody He met? No. Did He cast a demon out of everybody He met? No. Did He raise every dead person that He came in contact with? We don't know that. Probably not. 
But folks, there was a demonstration of power. Every time there was a proclamation. You want to know why the Roman Empire was turned upside down in less than 300 years? It's because believers just like us went out into neighborhoods and they proclaimed the gospel and they demonstrated the gospel. Now that demonstration might have been a miraculous healing or that demonstration might have been to take someone who was down and out and help them get up. It may have been lifting somebody up out of the gutter and and giving them something to eat. It may have been coming alongside a, a woman whose husband had left her and helping her get on her feet. It may have been sitting down with some children and just teaching them. See, power is not just miraculous things that you speak and this happens. Power is living the gospel out. And folks, we get plenty of proclamation what we ought to do and what we should do, and very little example of what we're supposed to do. And so this morning, I want us to marry those two things. Don't you understand that by the time we leave, I hope you will will be where I'm at, and I I think I'm where Jesus was, but Jesus was not content just to preach. Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but then He demonstrated the gospel. He acted Paul put it this way. Most of you realize Paul is probably the greatest preacher who ever lived, with the exception of Jesus. Okay, I'm going to put Jesus here and then Paul. Okay, but as far as somebody who didn't have a sinless nature, Paul is probably the greatest preacher that ever lived. And listen to what Paul said. When I came to you, brethren, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1-5, through 5, he said, I didn't come to you with superiority, superiority of speech or wisdom. In Paul's day, if you could debate and you could argue your point and you were a great speaker, crowds would flock to listen to you, even if you had nothing to say. It was how you said it, not what you said. Folks, it hadn't changed a lot. It hasn't changed a lot. There are plenty of people standing in places of authority who have nothing to say. They just say nothing very well. Turn on your TV. Visit around. It's there, okay? It's not three points, a poem, and a, you know, a prayer. It's, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with alliteration. But, but it doesn't have to be alliterated. This... Folks, is where the word, this is the truth right here. And when you proclaim the truth, God marries it with His power. And if we'll proclaim the Word of God, God will come. And wherever His presence is, His power will be. But Paul said, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming the testimony, the mystery of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message, my word, and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. In other words, I didn't come to you arguing this and debating this with you. I didn't come with, with the desire to prove to you that this is true. I came to you and I declared the truth. That's what he's saying there. 
He says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Folks, a lot of the proclamation today rests on the wisdom of men. On how well... And, and listen, I went to seminary and I would not... I would not take anything for my preaching classes and and learning how to to structure a sermon. It's important. But folks, that's not what the power that's not where the power is. You can you can be the, the best homilition and, and 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 preaching machine and do it by the book and have nothing to say. You see, the Spirit of God has got to marry the proclamation of the Word. He's got to empower the proclamation of the Word for for life to spring up. And folks, we need preaching and we need teaching and we need singing and we need witnessing that marries the truth with the Spirit. Where there's a proclamation and a demonstration. So Paul says, I came to you not with words or persuasive words of wisdom, but I came demonstrating the Spirit and the power, that your faith shouldn't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You will never, I, I, I say this, and, and I pray that this is my desire, You will never. I will never guilt you into heaven. Okay? I will never tell car wreck stories at the end of my sermon to, to, to cause fear to rise up in you. I'm just not going to do that, because if, if I can guilt you or fear you into heaven, guess what? Somebody else can guilt you or fear you out of heaven. That's probably not good English, but I think you all know what I'm talking about. Folks, this is the truth. It never changes. So for a few weeks, we're going to kind of go back to school with Jesus a little bit. And How many of you would agree that if Jesus did it this way, it's probably the way we ought to do it? Amen? Jim and I raised our hands. We both agree. It's not the only way, but it's probably a really good way. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God to His disciples. He showed them what it looked like with encounters that they had every day. These disciples walked with Him. They ate with Him. They lived with Him. They were a group and they traveled together. They learned through demonstration, through explanation, and through application. Jesus would teach them and then He would do it. And then He would give them the opportunity to do it. And guess what? When they blew it, when, when they messed it up, you know what He did? He corrected them. He didn't jump on them. He corrected them. And before long, they were doing the exact things that Jesus did. And like I said a while ago, in 300 years, the Roman Empire was turned upside down because they taught men and women to do the same things that they were taught. And they taught the next generation, and they taught the next generation, and they taught the next generation, and guess what happened? Seven, eight, ten generations later, they've gone from an outlawed religion to they are the religion of the state. And that's, folks, when trouble begins. really is. That's when, that's when things, what I'm talking about this morning, kind of ground to a halt. It never stopped. Listen to me. It never stopped. But by and large, the great majority of believers lost the ability to demonstrate. They were not trained. They were not taught. They were not, they were not, it was not pointed out to them. They heard the proclamation, 
But the demonstration was forgotten. But folks, it's a proclamation with a demonstration. It's not either or. It's both and. Sometimes there was demonstration and then proclamation. And sometimes there was proclamation and then demonstration. So let's jump in. Let's just turn to the first chapter of Mark. And let's look at what Jesus did. I've already shared this with you that that, uh, He didn't argue with the devil. He just punched him right in the nose with the Word of God. I love what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper. It's alive. It's not static. It's active. And folks, it is so sharp. In fact, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The writer of Hebrews says, Piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit. That's pretty sharp. Humanly speaking, we can't, we have no ability to divide the soul and the spirit, but the Word of God does. Of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, after the enemy attacked Jesus in the wilderness, and after Jesus did not react the way he thought, that Jesus would react. In other words, his temptations didn't work. The little the skirmish that they had became a running skirmish. In other words, Jesus was going about his business and the devil would attack. And the devil would attack. It was a running skirmish, but the devil did most of the running. Does that make sense? Jesus had a plan and a purpose, and he set about his plan and his purpose. Scripture tells us that after this encounter with the devil in the first part of Mark, that Jesus marched away from the place where John baptized him. He headed back toward the place where he'd grown up, and he went straight to the Sea of Galilee. He went into a town called Capernaum. If you go to Capernaum today, there's a little sign outside. Capernaum is, a, is ruins now. It's, there's no city there in a sense. It's just ruins. But it's the Jesus town. This was, this was where Jesus did most of His ministry. Within a two or three mile area, Jesus did most of the works of the gospel there. And so they're very proud of that. That draws pilgrims to Capernaum. And it's interesting that Jesus went straight to that little city, and and it was a pretty good little town at the time. You can see the ruins there today. Uh, A lot of people lived there. That's where Peter lived, where Andrew lived, probably where where John and James lived. And, And the Sea of Galilee is, you know, 50 yards from the, from the, from the city or so. Uh, it's just beautiful. They're on the nor- uh, northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes straight to Capernaum. He goes straight into the synagogue and he plants the kingdom of God flag right in the middle of it. And if you go to Capernaum today, you can see the ruins of the very synagogue that Jesus preached in. It's still there. Now it's 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 you there's there's different levels of this synagogue, but you'll notice a black basalt foundation, that's where he preached. And so you stand literally in the place where he proclaimed this message. You you can still do that. 
And so Jesus goes into the synagogue, and, and the synagogue was the place where the, the, the Jewish people would meet on, on uh, the Sabbath day, and they would have, you know, they would have a, a, a sermon. Uh, someone would read from the scrolls, and then they would have a sermon. Very often, if a traveling teacher came through, they would invite that teacher to read from the scroll and then uh, pick up and, and give a, a short teaching. And so that's what took place that day. And it's interesting what happened because Jesus, when Jesus gets there, he's confronted again by the darkness. He butts heads with it again. Listen to to Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 20. I'm going to read through this and then I'm going to just come back and we'll talk about this a little bit. And it says, and they... Who's they? Jesus, probably Peter and Andrew, James and John. If you read uh, the little section between where Jesus met the devil at the Mount of Temptation and where he, he comes to the synagogue, it talks about in some of the other Gospels how Jesus went along and, and he, he, he called Peter and his brother Andrew and he called James and he called John. And so they're traveling. I mean, they, they've basically left their boat now. And they're kind, of, they're kind of walking with him trying to decide, okay, do we follow this guy or not? And so, and they, James and Peter, Andrew, James and John, went into Capernaum. And immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And the people in the synagogue were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. And just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That's interesting, and just then. okay, Do you all realize the devil goes to church? He's here today. You can bet on it. And he came with somebody. Okay? He may have came with more than one somebody. You remember, if you pick him up, he'll ride. The problem is he always wants to drive. Okay? He enjoys church. He's rarely uncomfortable in church. Y'all, y'all do understand that. Y'all are looking at me like, well, I can't believe you'd say that to begin with. He's here, folks. He's here. He was there then. This won't be the first time Jesus will encounter uh, the devil at the synagogue. The difference is, is that in the Mount of Temptation, they met head on. Now, you're going to see Jesus interact with him the way most of us interact with him. And that's through somebody. Somebody who's decided, for whatever reason, consciously or unconsciously, to partner with him. You know, we talked a little bit about that. That if you partner with the devil, he has power. If you don't partner with him, he has no power in your life. Well, obviously, there was an individual there who, who for whatever reason, through sin, through a myriad of reasons, the enemy could use him. And so, it says there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You're Yeshua HaMashiach. You are Jesus the Christ. You are Jesus the Messiah. You are Jesus the Anointed One. You're, you're Jesus the Messiah. I mean, that's what, this, that's what this Spirit is speaking through this man. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. 
And they were all amazed. Who was all amazed? Everybody at church. They were sitting there with their mouths open. I mean, they didn't know what to say. So they debated among themselves. And that's what, where we are, folks. We debate among ourselves. Hmm, is this biblical? Is this right? Couldn't this have been done in a better place? Uh, is that truly the gospel? Is this the will of God or not the will of God? I mean, I mean, I don't know what they were debating, but they were they were in a debate. They were they were arguing with each other and saying, "What is this?" And here's the one thing they did agree on: not a new teaching, but it says a new teaching with authority. Whatever this guy did, he did it with authority. His command he commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him, and immediately the news went about about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Jesus goes to the synagogue, and as I mentioned, as a traveling rabbi, he would have been asked to read the scriptures and then give a, a short sermon. The only problem is his teaching was a little bit different than any that they had ever heard. Now, his text was not. He just simply took the text that was to be read that day. They took the scroll out, and where it was marked, he picked up. Next Sabbath, they'd pick up after the place where he read. And so he picks up the scroll, he reads the scroll, he begins to teach. It's the same story, it's the same Bible, the same passage, but there's a different kind of authority here. There's a different kind of teaching. What it is, is Jesus is applying whatever text it was. We're not told here. We are. Later on, you'll see that He, that he, he, he spoke from a text in Luke. But at this point, we don't know exactly what the text is. But what Jesus does is He applies the teaching of the kingdom of God. Well, Nelson, how do you know it was the kingdom of God? Because in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, right before we get here, this is the message Jesus was preaching. And after John had been taken into custody, after he had been arrested by Herod, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news, in the gospel. Folks, He's not giving them rules and regulations. He's not giving them what you should do or you ought do or you must do. Jesus is giving them life from God's Word. He's preaching the life of the kingdom to them. And they're astonished. I mean, that's, that's literally the word that, that's used there. They, he was teaching them as they were amazed. Now, some of them, probably according to the meaning of that word, were filled with fear. Man, they never heard anything like this. You ever been afraid when you heard somebody preach? I have. I got saved as an eight-year-old little boy because a preacher took the Word of God and proclaimed what hell was like, biblically speaking, and it terrified me. And I decided as an eight-year-old little boy, you know what? I don't want to go there. I didn't understand a whole bunch of stuff. It wasn't that I was afraid in the sense I was shaking. There was, but there was a fear deep within my spirit. That's not, you don't want to go there. I'm going to take the, the door of escape. And, and I asked Christ to come into my life. Folks, some of them were afraid. They were fearful. Some of them were, were astonished. They never heard anything like that. Some of them were probably just overwhelmed with joy. I mean, this, this is a, Pretty large group of folks that were there in that synagogue. And so they reacted different ways. 
The difference is they were not in, they were not fearful or or feeling wonder or joy because of his command of the Hebrew language. They were not the nuances of the words he used. That wasn't what got their attention. As I mentioned a while ago, it wasn't necessarily an alliterated sermon with three points, a poem, and a prayer. That that's not exactly what he was doing. Folks, what got their attention was his authority. Now, I can hear some of you saying, but he's God. Yes, he is. Okay, I, I don't disagree. But he, at this moment, he was preaching the Word of God as a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, if, if, if they'd known it was God standing in the pulpit, folks, they would have been on their faces shivering in terror. But he's preaching the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, he was using what I call kingdom authority. He had been given that authority by the Father. And he had been filled with it by the Spirit. He's using the power of the kingdom in proclamation. He's proclaiming the Word here. Authority, and what I'm talking about, authority is the power or right to act in a specified way, in a specific way. You've been given that authority by someone else. It's, it's like being deputized. Uh, the, the, the state deputizes individuals and gives them the, the authority to act. Policemen have been given the power to act by the city that, or the county or the state. And so they've been deputized. They've been, they've been given authority. And so they use it. When they pull you over, do you, why do you pull over? Because you know if you don't, it's going to be a lot worse. Amen? Because they have the authority. I mean, if, if I stand out in the middle of 31 out here today and point cars over to the side, you know what will happen to me? Especially in this nice red shirt. About the third one will run over me, and that will be the end of it. But when a police officer steps out there and he's got that uniform on, he's got that gun and that badge, and he does that, only a fool would drive past him. He has authority. He's acting in authority. And folks, Jesus had kingdom authority. He had the authority to do these things. Now, He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of God to those that were in bondage. He was saying freedom is here. Deliverance is here. Salvation is here. How many of you realize that God has given each of us the same authority? I see a few nods. I see a bunch of I'm not sure. I'm not Jesus. Well, folks, if Jesus did it, He said we could do it. And we could do even greater things than He had done because He was going to the Father. Folks, Jesus has given us kingdom authority. He's delegated us to do the same things. Are you using your authority in your life? Do you realize that that you have the right, and not just the right, but you have the power to speak the Word of God into every situation you find yourself in? That might be at home, that might be in your marriage, that might be with your children, that might be at work, 
That may be at the grocery store. That may be anywhere when you come in contact with somebody. You have the authority and the, the privilege and the right to speak the Word of God into their lives and into the situations you find yourself in. You bring the kingdom of God close every time you encounter somebody. Remember, the kingdom of God resides, resides in us and is with us. So, are you using it? Okay, here's my next question. If not, why not? You realize God has given us a powerful weapon for good. And He's given us the capacity, literally, to decimate and destroy the kingdom of darkness with it. God has given us that authority to use it. Folks, God has, has given us the ability and the privilege and the responsibility to use it. I mean, He's loaded our guns. And all we have to do is pull the gun and, I mean, draw the gun and pull the trigger. It's loaded. And yet, preacher, you don't understand. I don't know how. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do if I do do it. I just don't know. Folks, that's not an excuse. I don't know, and I don't know how it's not an excuse anymore. It won't, the devil doesn't, you know, he doesn't even slow down when he hears that one. Well, you can't bother me, devil, because I don't know how to de- defeat you. I don't know how to deal with you. He sees that as an open door and a sign that says, come on in and have a party. Folks, Jesus didn't do that. Folks, the body of Christ has the authority to drive the demons who are destroying our nation, who are destroying our, 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 our culture, who are destroying the morality of this nation, who are destroying the men and women and the boys and girls of this country, the families of this country, the churches of this country. We have the authority to drive Him out. You know why He's not leaving? It's because we're praying about it and not acting on it. Can I just give you a principle that will go a long way in your life? Don't pray for things that God has already given you the authority to do. Because He will not do them for you. How many of you walked for your children? If you did, they've never yet to learn to walk. How many of you ate for your children? If you had, they would never learn to eat. God will not do for us what He's already given us the ability and the authority to do. There's no need to ask for it. You can pray till you get bunions on your knees, but He's not going to answer that prayer. He's saying, I've given you everything you need. You do it. Folks, that's what Jesus came for. Now, back to our story. In that moment, as Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom there, as He's talking about the kingdom of God, and people are starting to get excited, and they're, they're starting to recognize something's going on here, the devil realizes, you know what? I'm going to have to do something. If I don't do something, this church service is going to get a little out of hand. These people are going to get happy. They might start clapping. They might start shouting. They may get excited. Lord, they may turn the music up just a little too loud. They might actually leave here 
when the service is over and tell their neighbor about this. I've got to do something. Because these people are starting to understand that this guy is not like all the rest of them. And so what does he do? He makes a phone call to one of his demons and said, hey, do something. And so that demon begins to stir up one of the individuals that was there, a flesh and blood person. And folks, that's pretty much how the enemy will attack you. He'll use somebody. But listen to me. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against that person that, that says something ugly or, or says something rude or, or blows their horn or, or curses you or waves at you with some obnoxious way. That's not our enemy. That stuff can't hurt us. Our enemy is against the devil. And Jesus recognized his enemy here. Why did he do that? Because the devil knew that he needed to change the focus of what's going on. The more a body of believers focus on God, the more likely his presence is to fall. And my goodness, we can't allow God's presence to fall in this synagogue here in Capernaum. A revival might break out. And so, he stirs up this guy. And this guy gets up. He begins to call attention, not to God, but to himself. And he begins to, to shout. He begins to cry out. And listen to what he cries, what, what he says. He says, uh, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I've heard people say, well, the, the, the demon was, was recognizing Jesus. He sure was. But you know what? God doesn't need the demons to declare Him. He can make rocks. Praise Him. This, this demon was not trying to, to get the people to realize this is the Messiah. He was trying to get the people to form sides and factions and begin to fight each other. He was stirring up a nest there. I, mean, I talked a little bit last week about how Messiah fever was, was, was hot. And, and just, I mean, I talked about that last week. Well, he's stirring that pot up. If I can get, if I can get those, those poor folks that are just dying to see the Messiah and those religious folks who, who, just, this guy doesn't fit the mold to begin to argue, hey, my work's done. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't get sucked into that battle. He didn't get sucked in. If he had been allowed to, to go on, the, the, the service went into chaos. And folks, this is an interruption with an intent to cause disruption. That's why the devil did what he did. You know why the microphone went out a while ago? The battery was dead. That's exactly right. But the devil wanted, to, he wanted some people to go click, click. You know why there are issues a lot of times with cords and microphones? Well, it's electrical. It certainly is. But you know what? The devil wants a noise or something not to happen so we can get locked in on that instead of praising God. You know why the buzzer keeps buzzing? Because somebody keeps fouling over here, but the devil wants you to get all locked in on that buzzer. Okay? It's a foul for, for heaven's sake. Don't worry about it. You know why kids yell? Because the devil's stirring things up. He doesn't want you parents to, to be able to, to listen. He wants to disrupt. You have to realize that. Because if we get tuned into God, God will do something in us. So Jesus 
acts. He didn't just say, I've preached the word today, now respond. That's not what he did. Okay, he proclaimed the word. Now he takes the word of God which he'd been proclaiming and he demonstrates it. Okay, he acts. He applies it in the situation. He proclaimed the word of God with power and now he demonstrates it by acting in the same power. He uses the command authority that, that God had given him. Kingdom authority. And he uses it to remove anything that is an enemy to the kingdom of God. He confronts that spirit head on. He doesn't back up. He doesn't blink. He doesn't stop to think. He just says two words. Now, in the English, it's more than two words. In the Greek language, it's two words. I'm going to paraphrase them. Okay? Shut up. Get out. That's what he said. I mean, you, you, you study the words. Shut up. Get out. He didn't say, please be quiet. Could some ushers seat this man in the back? He said, shut up. Get out. That simple. He acted. Folks, we have the same authority. How many of you in your lifetime have heard the lie of the enemy in your head or out of the mouth of somebody else? Now, can I give you some... Advice? Or count. Let me give counsel. Advice is, everybody gives advice. Let me give you some counsel. You can speak into those situations. Whenever I start to hear it in my head, this is what I say. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. Be quiet. That's a lie in Jesus' name. Leave me alone. If I hear it out of somebody... I speak the same thing. Now, I may not get right in their face and go, in the name of Jesus, come out. But I will speak it. And I speak it out loud. Take authority. It changes the atmosphere. Remember we talked about atmosphere? It changes the atmosphere. Try it. Try it when one of your children goes berserk. Starts acting nutty. I don't care if they're one year old or they're 18 years old, 26, 29 years old. Just try it. See if the atmosphere doesn't change. Jesus acts. He says, shut up, get out. He commands, literally, He says, be muzzled and cast out. He didn't mess around, folks. He used His command authority. You will see Him do it over and over and over throughout Scripture. You say, well, I don't have that kind of authority. I beg to differ with you. I'm going to give you three verses. You you go home and study these. I'm going to read them to you. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, And Jesus called the twelve together, and He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. You say, well, I'm not one of the twelve. You're sure not. Okay? Go to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. You're welcome to read the whole passage. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going. And then in verse 18, if you know the story, man, they went into those cities and they proclaimed it and, and they were pumped because even the demons responded to their, to their commands and to their declarations. And Jesus said this, and He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. He's not talking about bugs and snakes. Okay? And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Well, I'm not one of the 70. That was, that was some special times. Okay? Then let's go to Matthew chapter 28, our favorite verse. 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now, we forget about that. But Jesus says, you know what? I got all the authority. And then He says this, Go, therefore. Go ye, therefore. That's how I learned it as a child. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all, all that I commanded you. Did Jesus teach His disciples how to deal with the enemy? Yes or no? Is that a part of all? Okay, that my points. We have the authority to act in Jesus' name. In every instance and in every situation, folks, we have the authority of Jesus. We have kingdom authority to do the very same thing that Jesus did whenever we are confronted with the kingdom of darkness. Things not going well in your life? Not going just like you want them to go? Then tell the enemy to shut up and get out. I can't do that. Well, then if you don't do that, he won't go. Well, I thought I'd make an appointment with you, Pastor, and let you do that. It's not my responsibility. I'll be happy to do it for you, but it probably won't work because the door will be open before you get back home. You've got to shut that door. Don't argue with him. Don't compromise. Use the command authority that Jesus has given you. Folks, it came with our citizenship. In heaven. All of us get it. It's not just a few superhero kind of Christians or ding-dongs or or flakes that that have the authority to do this. It's all of us. Now, you you can call me a nutcase if you want to, but I have seen this stuff work. If you just do it. I've seen him run. I've seen him back up a corner and growl like a dog and threaten to destroy you, but I've seen him wilt and weaken and be destroyed in the name of Jesus and through the Word of God. It wasn't anything I could do, believe me. I was shaking in my boots. But I refused to let him have any more ground in that situation, and he left. You can do the same thing. You can shake in your boots and still read Scripture. Well, I can't quote Scripture. Read it! He don't care. It still hurts. You say it out loud, it hurts. He can't stand it. You know what? When you get shot with a bullet, it don't mean it don't matter if it was pulled accidentally or on purpose, it still hurts. Amen. Use the word of God. Now watch what happens. Jesus demonstrates he's proclaimed the power, now he demonstrates it. Shut up, get out. Be muzzled, be cast out. You know what happens? That spirit had to obey. Why? Because he's God? No. Because he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit who declared the Word of God and now he is acting with the power of God. He has to leave. It says that the demon caused the man to to go into convulsions. Literally, if you study that word, it's it's a word that, that, that talks about the stomach convulsing. Or, or if you, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. If you, if you ever want to throw up, but there wasn't anything to throw up, okay, I'm going no further. 
That's what's taking place. Folks, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in people. It's very common. Jesus doesn't get all freaked out about the manifestation. He didn't go, golly, look at that. He said, get out, shut up, get out. And so the Spirit begins, I mean, He doesn't want to let go. He wants to hang on to all He's got. If He's not in that body, He has no way to cause any problems. Listen to me, this is not about possession and and oppression. This is just about this man had a spirit, okay, for whatever reason. Forget all that garbage. And Jesus dealt with him. And all of a sudden, he begins to throw this man into convulsions, and, and that spirit begins to scream. It, it, was, it was screaming because it was being forced to leave. Its power had been broken by the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, there will be no demonic spirits who exercise any control. You're going to find out in the weeks to come, there will be no disease that can exercise control. There will be no death that can exercise control. And there will be no destructive religion that can exercise control. That's why Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom. He wanted us to see what heaven was like when it came to earth. Now, will it be perfectly heaven on earth here? No, but it can be a lot better than the hell most of us live in all week long. It can be a lot better. It can be myriad times better than what we experience now if we will just exercise that power and we'll demonstrate it. You preach it, then act on it. I mean, how many of you, I don't know, this is probably not a good illustration, but how many of you take dollars for your pay? How many of you, when you cash your check, they give you dollars? And by that I mean 10s, 20s, 50s, that kind of stuff. All of us do. You know what? If you never, if you don't accept that, you won't have anything to spend, will you? If you don't present that at the store, you'll never be able to buy anything. Oh, I know. We've got credit cards. I understand that. But there is a day when the credit card comes to you. And you have to pay the credit card. Folks, Jesus said, use what you've been given. I didn't give you toy money to use. I didn't give you uh, just the Word. I gave you the Word with power. I gave you spirit and truth. Act on them. Now, the crowd was amazed. All of a sudden, that spirit's gone and this man is free. And they had not seen anything like that. They were st- The word here amazed is a little bit different than the other one. They were astounded. They were speechless. They didn't know what to say. They had witnessed something that, that they had seen. How, it wasn't that this man had a spirit, that an unclean spirit was working through him. They seen. They knew that. That was part of their culture. They saw that almost every day. It was common. They just never had seen anybody say, shut up and get out. You see, they were used to seeing these guys come, set up their tent, get out all their stuff, unpack their bags, and, and go through their magical incantations and sprinkle this there and douse that there and say this word four times backwards and turn around six times. They were used to that kind of stuff. And, and then the spirit probably only left because it was worn out and tired from all the show. It didn't go away. Jesus just said two words, shut up, get out. 
They'd never seen anything like that. They were gobsmacked. I've got a friend from England that says that. They were gobsmacked. They didn't know what to say. They were dumbfounded. Two words, and, and this brother that they all knew was free. Folks, it can be proclamation with demonstration or demonstration with proclamation. It's not either or, it's both and. That's how the kingdom is declared. Jesus is declaring in no uncertain terms here in this text, and He'll do it over and over and over, that the kingdom of God was at hand. And those who were present that day recognized this is a new kind of authority. We've never seen this before. This is not what the, 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 the scribes, this is not how they teach. Now, and I'm not, I'm not hammering the scribes. The scribes argued the law. They pointed out what thou shalt and what thou shalt do. And, and, and folks, things haven't changed a lot. You hear a lot of sermons on thou shalt not and thou shalt. Jesus just comes in and does it. He shows them what it looks like. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you just proclaim, or whenever you proclaim, let me put it that way, the devil will challenge your proclamation. I've heard him all week. You really going to preach that? I'm going to bust you right up the side of the head as hard as I can. And I'm going to keep busting you till you give up. I mean, I've heard that all week. And you know what? He's wore me out. You can't see the bruises and the blood, but I've got them. I've gone to sleep, woke up in the middle of the night, and got up too early. That earlier than I should have to get up listening to that garbage. Because he doesn't want it proclaimed. So he's going to challenge the proclamation every time. And you know what he'll do? He'll bloody your nose. He'll knock you down. He'll make you want to give up if all you do is proclaim. There comes a point when you put your feet apart, you plant them and you say, in Jesus' name, get out, leave me alone. Go. He has to go. But folks, if we don't learn to do that, He doesn't have to go. He understands the rules better than we do. And we've got the book. We've got the example of Jesus who, who didn't just proclaim the book, He demonstrated the book. Folks, God has given us the ability, but we have to exercise it. Listen to me. The devil and the demons tremble when one of us realize who we are in Christ and begin to act on it. They tremble. They tremble. And they have to do something because if, if I share with you what I've learned and you accept it and you start to do it, all of a sudden there's two of us. Two becomes four. Four becomes eight. Eight becomes... 16, I'm going to stop. 32, I can't go much further. 64, uh, that's about it. But you see what happens? There's a whole bunch of folks doing this. I don't have any power there. I'm going to go to another church next Sunday. Well, you know, I don't want to send the devil to another church, but I don't want him here. Okay? We don't need him here. we got enough problems on our own, amen, without him adding to the chaos. And if enough churches start to do that, guess what? He'll have no foothold in the church. And the community will change. Folks, this is a part of the gospel. It's not just the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's the core of it. But there's all this other that Jesus taught and demonstrated 
with his disciples. And all of it is the kingdom, the, the gospel of God. The gospel of the kingdom. How many of you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19? He said, the gates of hell... Excuse me, that's not Matthew 16, 19. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell... On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many of you realize what gates are for? Gates are not offensive weapons. Gates are locked to keep an opposing army out. They are locked to keep what they've gathered in. And Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail. It won't be able to keep in what it's captured. If we'll just act, folks... Jesus said in Matthew, I think it is Matthew 16, 19, He said this, I, have, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I'll give you access. i give you access and authority is what He's saying. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth, it shall be loosed in heaven. I mean, that's what Jesus said. I've given you the keys. Lock them up. And let them go. I mean, that's what he's saying. Lock the enemy up. Let the captives go free. That's our ministry, folks. But that won't happen if we just proclaim. We have to demonstrate. Proclamation, demonstration. I can preach freedom all day long until, you know what, when I'm faced with somebody who's in bondage, if I don't step up to the plate and deal with that, that person probably won't get free. At least they won't get free with me. I could go on and on and on. I'm going to stop. Okay? I just want to say this. Jesus has given us the authority over the enemy. If we declare God's Word and we demonstrate God's power, freedom comes. And wherever freedom comes, it changes people's lives. Folks, this is a part of living the kingdom life. This is not something that will one day happen in the by and by when we get to heaven. This is where we're supposed to be right now. God didn't push us out of an airplane over planet Earth and not give us any weapons to fight with. He loaded us for bear. But if we won't take the weapons out and we won't use the authority He's given us, you know what? We're going to get slaughtered every day. Life's not going to change. You're going to get to that place where, you know what, I, I just soon die. It's, it's put up with this. Listen to me. Take up the authority that Christ has given you. Use it. See if things don't change in your life. Jesus confronted the enemy head on. Didn't blink. Didn't back up. Dealt with him. He left. Oh, he comes back. But you keep dealing with him and pretty soon he'll get tired of you and go on to somebody else. Folks, we have the authority of the kingdom. We've got to learn to use it. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We praise you this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.